All right. How's everybody doing? For those of you that are just joining us, you get to sleep until 11, get out of bed, get here right in time for the sermon. I get it. So we are getting into really where the author of Hebrews has been trying to get to, but they were dull of hearing. They were unable to understand such a difficult theological concept that he is going to present to them now after spending most of chapter 6 sort of giving them a little bit of a scripture whooping um, for not being as mature in Christ as they ought to be because of who they are, who they know. They, they've, you know, this isn't, you know, A.D. 35. This is A.D. 60, you know, 4, 65, somewhere around there. So they should know these things by now is what the writer is saying. And they want, he wants to explain to them what I think in the whole book is really the nail in the coffin uh, as it relates to the supremacy of Christ, uh, as it relates to them being convinced of the supremacy of Christ through the writing here. So we're going to, mostly all of chapter 7 is about Melchizedek. And uh, there's so much here that this is sort of going to probably go over a couple of weeks. I, I tried to cover it in one chapter, but there's just too many things. And it, it's, I want to make sure that we grasp this because it's not an easy grasp. So I'm going to read, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to be in the first 10 verses. So the scripture should be up. I also encourage you, I encourage everybody to have a, a, a Bible with them because a lot of this, we're not able to keep the scripture up on the screen the whole time, especially texts like this, where I'm going to be referring to a lot of different things. It's always good to have that Bible in your hand. <clears throat> Just a public service announcement. So chapter seven, verse one, for this Melchizedek, because again, remember, he ended chapter six with saying Jesus has been a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The last time we heard about Melchizedek was back in chapter five, um, when uh, this is back in verse 10, where he says that Jesus is a high priest according to to the order of Melchizedek, and concerning him, in verse 11, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain again, since you've become, become dull of hearing. So he stops there, and it's sort of a little parenthesis, all the way to chapter 7. He feels now he's able to communicate it to these people. He never doubted in the first place. He was sort of just rebuking them a little bit. Like, come on now, you know this stuff, you, this is foundational. You know, I want to go on to bigger things. I want to get out the meat. And so finally now he's going to start to talk about the meat. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, as Kevin just read, as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils. <clears throat> that was first of all by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also king of Salem. So he's talking about Melchizedek there in terms of his name. It's all, it's, it means two different things. King of Salem, <clears throat> which is king of peace, and, and uh, king of righteousness. And he's also a priest, which is interesting. 
Here's the tough, the, the, the tough verses. He's without father, verse 3, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. And he remains a priest perpetually. Verse 4. Now, observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. This is where it gets a little bit confusing, and we're going to dig into this, so bear with me here. He's trying to draw a parallel here, right? Abraham paid him tithes, but Levi, the priesthood, grandson of Abraham, paid tithes. So he's trying to draw and starting to build a case here for two different priesthoods, and he's starting to uh, compare what each responsibility was for each line. And he says that they are all descended from Abraham, but verse 6 he says, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek <coughs> excuse me, met him. So we're going to stop there, although I want to read 11. Just let me read 11. It's not, it's not on there. We'll go back to 11. I just want to read 11. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the pe- people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise to the order of Melchizedek and not to the order of Aaron? Why did God have to create this other priesthood? You're confusing me now, God. I just read the whole Old Testament. You mentioned this Melchizedek only a couple of times. The whole Old Testament is about this Levitical priesthood. And we hear about Melchizedek in maybe three or four verses in the whole Bible. And you're telling me Melchizedek has a, is another priesthood, but yet at the same time, possibly even better? than the priesthood of Aaron, Levi. That's your priesthood, God. And so this is what they were trying, this is what the writer was trying to drill into their heads. But again, don't don't, look at them as, as inferior because this is, again, a reminder, part of their, more than part of their culture, more than just part of their nationality, more than part of anything about them. Everything was their Jewishness and the law and Moses. That was their main thought, their main um, lens that they looked through the world at and through everything, through the lens of the law. And now he's saying to them, you're looking through the lens of the law, but this lens you're looking through is only temporary, this lens. Actually, it was made to be temporary. The new, the lens that God has created for us to look through is Christ. And 
God is a God of justice. God is a God of holiness. But in order for God to be that and all the other attributes, he also has to be orderly, logical. God is a God. That's why he is a God of covenants. He does things perfect, exactly how they should be. On the judiciary scale, on the moral scale, everything. He does it perfect. And for there to be a priest that's worthy enough to be able to be the most, the high priest of the most high God, it's not going to come from this scaffolding that was put around the building to build it. That scaffolding is no longer needed. No, that's going to come from God, from his path, from his order, which is the order of Melchizedek. It's a different priest. God could have easily said, no, the Arab, you know, the priest of Levi, that just shows what it should be like. Yeah, it's only a shadow of what's in heaven. But Jesus in God, you know, Jesus is God. He doesn't have to come through a formal order of a priesthood. Oh, yes, he does. Because God does everything perfectly and by the book. And in order for man and God to reconcile, there needed to be not just any mediator, but there was only one possible mediator, and that was God himself. Now, as we see in the Bible, throughout the scriptures, we see strange characters, for lack of a better way to say it. We see Enoch um, in Genesis uh, 5, 22. He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Supernatural, crazy event, right? You're sitting next to your friend, and God takes him. That's what happened. (laughs) That's really crazy. Just boom. Same with Elijah. Elijah's sitting there, hanging out with Elisha. He's about to take over his job, Elisha. And God just takes him off in a whirlwind. Elijah said, you'll know when I'm gone because I'm going to be gone. That's what he said. Uh, and then we have cool, like, things like Lot's wife becoming a pillar of salt. Um, and so Melchizedek is one of those characters. Okay, he's, he's one of those characters that we see in the Bible, that we could take what we know from the Bible, and we could say, who is this guy? Who's that guy? Right? He's only, again, mentioned a, a, a few times. Now, it's critical that you know that Melchizedek was somebody that came out and met Abraham. He wasn't in Genesis 14. He wasn't, and this is what Kevin read in our, in our Old Testament reading. He came out to meet Abraham. Abraham did something spectacular. Abraham and Lot, who Lot was Abraham's nephew, had separated because both of their uh, properties and both of their estates were growing and and flourishing and their servants started to fight with each other and all that. And Abraham said, you know what, let's just just move away from each other. You go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, or he actually gave Lot anywhere he wanted to go on, on this side. Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham went the other way. Then Abraham hears that there's five kings, I'm sorry, four kings that came down to Sodom and Gomorrah and wiped them out and took Lot at the same time. Took Lot, took the women, took all of their stuff. Every state pilferaged their whole thing. 
So Abraham hears about it. He gets 300 of people from his own household who are experts in war. And they go and they take everything back. Those other kings tried to do it. The king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and three other kings. They tried to take it back. But they fleed from them in the desert because their people were falling in tar pits, which were just oil pits. And so they left. But Abraham got the job done. Then guess who comes on out? Melchizedek. It's just a procession. We've seen it in the movies, right? After a big battle, usually all, all the um, you know, epic movies, like we saw it in Chronicles of Narnia, all the Lord of the Rings, they all end with some royal, regal profe- uh, procession to you know, get crowned or get knighted or get something like that. Well, that's how things would happen. After a war, people would get honored for their courage in battle, their wounds, or whatever the case is, their family and things like that. But this guy Melchizedek coming out was the top dog. He was number one. For him to come out is one thing because of who he was. But for him to come out and bless measly Abraham in front of all these other nations and kings, nation took out or a nation took out. Abraham took out the nation of um, uh, uh, Chad Erlamar, which, which uh, was in, in this passage already. And they were the, like Babylon at the time almost. Not as expansive. But they were feared. And Abraham took him out. So Melchizedek comes out and blesses him. And how does he bless him? He gives him bread and he gives him wine. His name means king of righteousness and also king of Salem. Zedek means righteousness in the Hebrew. And he is believed to have been an early, early ancient king of Jerusalem. There's a lot of things that are very unique about this guy. Number one was the fact that he came out and he blessed with bread and wine which we see and we're going to celebrate today, the Lord's Supper. We also see Abraham acknowledging him by giving him a tenth of everything that he had, that he had recouped from these kings. And he gave it to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blessed him. He gave him bread and wine, gave him a tenth, which we'll explain a little bit more in a minute, but I first want to get to the main question I I hope that's on many of our minds, and that is not who is Melchizedek, but what is Melchizedek? Who? We know who he is. He's the king of Salem and the king of righteousness, and he's the priest of the Most High God. He was the one known at that time that had access to God. When you were blessed by him, you were blessed by the best. There's rabbinic uh, literature that talks about Melchizedek blessing Abraham and anointing him as the next high high priest of the Most High God. That's, again, not in the Scriptures. But you see the tie-in and the parallel there to the seed of Abraham, which is Christ. But what is this man? Verse 3 is the real confusing verse. He's without father, without mother, 
without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. So there's a lot of different views on who this guy is. All right? One of the most popular uh, mainstream Christian view is he's Jesus. I mean, it's no-brainer, right? Jesus was in heaven, and he said, hey, give me my, uh, my, my flesh outfit. I'm going to head on down. I'm going to get on a horse or whatever I'm going to do, get a big procession, and I'm going to live on the earth for a couple hundred years. No one's going to know who I am, if you believe that part of it. Others believe that Melchizedek was Jesus, but he just appeared and then left. No one knew where he was. Actually, what he was, was he was a very popular character at that time, but that nobody knew who he was. So Melchizedek was a mere man born of woman. You see it here. He was made, he was made like the Son of God. But no one knew where this guy came from. I mean, you could think about this now, too. I mean, obviously not in the same exact match for pound-for-pound context, right? But people that have been around the town so long, right? You don't know where they come from. You don't know who their family is. You know, we had people like that all over in Trenton, you know? And we had no idea who these people were. Some of the older people seemed like they lived there forever. And so that's the, that's the idea here that the writer is saying is that Melchizedek, had all of these traits, or I should say monikers, attached to him because he was the Most High God. In terms of, I'm sorry, he was the priest of the Most High God. And because he gave out these blessings as that top order there in the hierarchy. And so the pre-incarnate Christ, I don't believe that's him. I don't believe that he's some special heavenly being brought to earth for this appearance, although it's possible. Um, He was made, like I just said, so that obviously implies that Jesus is the Son of God. He was not made. Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. So why why did the writer put all this here? See, we we don't read all of this in Genesis. We don't read all of this Anywhere else in the scripture, not even in Psalm 110, where it says that Jesus, that God made an oath saying that Jesus, the prophecy is pointing to, is made a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so the order of Melchizedek is what's really being drawn our attention to, to the order of Melchizedek is so important. It's not the necessarily the character of him that he was a God coming down to do this and, and make this special appearance and leave. No, he was setting the stage. He was, again, a part of that train of redemption that we see going all through the scriptures. I believe he was definitely a man with an extraordinary call. He didn't know, again, there was no, uh, you know, uh, I guess you could say records, or uh, no one knew his parents and, and that sort of thing. But I also believe, again, he was a man. There's a couple scriptures here. The earthly priestly order, this isn't a scripture, this is just me, of ministering to God is a shadow of what is in heaven. So Melchizedek 
was a shadow of what is in heaven. What is in heaven? Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, so he was a type of Christ that was to come. <clears throat> it says that in Hebrews 10.1, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never make perfect those who draw near. They can never, by those sacrifices that are continually offered, make perfect those who are drawn near. And we know there's only one mediator between God and man. There's not like this whole group, a gang of like, you know, the order of Melchizedek biker gang, you know, where they all have the same, yeah, we're from the order of Melchizedek. You know, we don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're going. We just know that we're the priests of the Most High God. God's given us responsibility. That this is, uh, the order of Melchizedek is one person, Jesus Christ, okay? Melchizedek was made on earth as a type in the shadow of that, okay? But he isn't that, okay? He isn't that. He was that on earth, but he's not that in heaven. He's not in the Holy of Holies. In Hebrews 5.1, it says, Every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men. It's another scripture there that tells me, makes me lean more towards that this high priest was a man with very special, extraordinary calling and probably um, special gifts as well. So why is he spending so much time on this? I sort of leaked it out in the beginning. The, the Hebrews have no idea of this second. They, don't, they can't understand that I, can, I have to come to God by going in with a, with, with a, with a, a dead lamb every year, okay? And sacrifices all the time and, 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 and festivals and all this stuff so that way the priest will accept my sacrifice and when he goes into the Holy of Holies, the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement, my sins are going to be forgiven. Now you're telling me that the temple is going to be destroyed in a couple years, the old things are going to pass away, the old covenant's going to pass away, all things are going to become new, but I have to go through, I have to bypass the Aaronic line, the, the, the line of Aaron? Yes. You've got to let that go. That's fading away. It's rotting away because it's here. It's made of material, put it that way. It's disintegrating. But Mel the order of Melchizedek provides something much different. Indestructibility. Power of an indestructible life. It says that in verse 16, which we'll get to next week. He says, Melchizedek, um, he arises, Jesus, according to the likeness of Melchizedek. Because he has become one such, not on the basis of law, of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. So, the Hebrews... This is what I call the nail on the coffin here because this guy is telling them now, look, all right, now that you're able to understand this, the law is dead. It's got application, excuse me. But it is dead as it relates to your identity in Christ 
or your identity with God. You can't any longer say, I'm following the law. I'm making the sacrifice. A matter of, as a matter of fact, it's an abomination for you to go to that temple and sacrifice an animal. It's an abomination to Christ because his blood is the blood once and for all. Those, those things right there were just pointing. They were just a type and a shadow. They don't take away sins. Do you get it now, Hebrews, he's saying? It's, it's the order of Melchizedek that we need to jump into, not the order of Aaron. And you're hanging on to a dead order. You're hanging on to a driftwood that's going out into sea. And man, do we, not, do, do we do this? We all do this. This is the battle of your life. The battle of your life is hanging on to the things that you've once let go of. The battle is continuing to grab back to that old life. Just taste it. And that's what these guys were doing. Hey, where were you today? Dave, well, wait, you got a little a little blood on your shoe there. Were you down at the temple? Oh, I just figured I'd go once, you know, one more time. I only go once a week to the temple, you know. No, you got to get rid of that. You got to let go of that old life. And you got to get on with the new life. You see, Abraham paid Melchizedek tithes. See, Abraham here is the linchpin. He's the key. See, Abraham paid Melchizedek tithes. But what does it say that he did? Yes, uh, the scripture from before here. It says, um, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. Now, is possessor of heaven and earth going back to God? Is it going back to Abram? I think it's going back to Abram, but either way it works because Abram is the possessor of heaven and earth because his seed is Jesus Christ and Jesus is possessing the earth fully. He's in the process of doing it now and he will consummate that at one time. This new and different priesthood or this line blesses Abraham. So Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Why? Because he knew, he had the knowledge, this is the man with the promise. This is the man that through his seed is going to come Christ, and I'm a type of this guy. So he went out, he received tithes, and he blessed Abraham, who had the promises. And now Abraham goes on, okay, and has Isaac and Jacob, and then Jacob has all of his his sons, which one of is Levi. So Levi was still in his womb, in his, in his loins, and he paid tithes, so to speak, principally, to this Melchizedek as well. So this Melchizedek took tithes from Abraham, and Abraham received the blessing from him, and then we see Melchizedek also bring out bread and wine which again points as a, as, a, as a type to that bread and wine 
that Jesus broke four days from now, three days from now, whenever, however you're counting, Thursday night, Last Supper. It's the first time we see it. He breaks the bread and he gives the wine. And just as Abraham was the one who held the promises and received that bread and wine and then distributed it out to his people, his soldiers, for that nourishment and that amazing blessing because those those elements were blessed by the high priest. See, that's the high priest's job is to minister to the people. And they do. They give gifts. They do blessings. They do prayers. They do all sorts of stuff. But how about that? That date that Jesus is now sitting at the Last Supper and he brings out bread and wine. And he gives it out to his disciples who are the microcosms of Christ to go out into the world and give the world as, 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 high, as not high priests, but as a royal priesthood to give the world that bread and wine that we have. And you don't have to be from the line of Abraham. Again, you see, genealogically, you see, Abraham, it, we got the hint that Melchizedek had what? No genealogy. You see, God wanted to cut it off. Any, any source of boasting, he cuts off. So therefore, the blessing can be by faith and be by, by grace through faith in Christ. And so the whole thing works so perfectly when you see Melchizedek not try to figure out who he is and all this other stuff. It's a great study, but as it relates to this text here today, it's looking at this new order. Wow, it's a whole major paradigm shift. It's like, I've been doing this my whole life, and this is how I've been righteous before God, and now I have to believe by faith but wait a minute, how am I going to get into the Holy of Holies? <laughs> I can't get my... No, you can. Jesus' blood. He's a high priest too. How's he a high priest? He's not from the tribe of Levi. Levi, no, no, he's from a different order. He's from the tribe of Judah. Has nothing to do with it. It's not about earthly anything here. It's about what's going on in the heavenlies. So Jesus, after he died, for the, after he came in on Palm Sunday, and he went in and he was so appraised and doing all that and, and eating the Last Supper. He gets arrested, gets tried as a criminal, goes to the cross, dies, and he rises again. Now, anybody who believes in that is a child of Abraham. That's what it says in Romans 9. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. They are not all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh, but the children of God, the children of the promise, the children of the promise. Who's the promise? It, Isaac was the promise. From that line, Jesus is the seed. We believe in Jesus by faith. We become a child of Abraham. We, be, we leave that line of dead works trying to work our way to God. We leave that line of all different sorts of things to identify me as a Christian. Okay? My ministry, my good works, my great you know, 
facade that I could maybe put on sometimes, right? When it's not really there. We don't need that anymore. All we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ by faith. And his grace fills in all the cracks for that. There's no one here as, as wicked as we all are. And it's some of the wicked things we've all done in our lives. There's nothing too wicked that Jesus' blood cannot wash away. Completely wash it away and be forgiven. And that's what this pastor wants for these people. He does not want them to miss out on this amazing forgiveness because of the blood of the Son of God. And so as we partake, is what we're going to do now, we're going to partake. Are you playing piano, Kev? Okay, so Jonathan, would you help me pass out the elements? So we're going to partake now, and we're going to um, do what Jesus commanded. He said, do this in remembrance of me. When you sit down together as a group, and you get out the bread and the wine, I want you to partake together, because it represents so many things. First and foremost, it represents my body, which is given for you, Jesus said. Jesus had to have a human body. He couldn't have said, I give my spiritual body. Nope. I gave my body a real deal, painful, horrific, bloody experience. I give you that because that's, that, that is for the forgiveness of sins. And this juice, this, this wine that I'm giving you, This is my blood poured out for the new covenant. You see, in ad-libbing for Jesus, this can't happen without the shedding of blood. All right, Jesus, well, why don't we just go out and really turn up the sacrifices? No, no, this needs special blood. This needs God to do this. And so he breaks the bread, he, he passes it out, and people partake. And they do it in remembrance. But like I always say, it's not just remembering back. This meal is to nourish us spiritually for moving forward. So if you have sinned in your life and you feel that you have not reconciled that sin with God, then I think that qualifies for eating this supper in the unworthy manner. And I would, if I were you, withhold and we're not judging you on that and the only reason you would do that is because you're not in the position right now to say lord forgive me i love you i'm 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 just i'm yours forgive me i i forgive that person i reconcile in my mind i'm i'm gonna work things out i'm gonna ask for forgiveness for last night i'm gonna ask for forgiveness for two weeks whatever it is and then you partake And Christ promises that he will be with you. He is in you with the Holy Spirit already. He's there. But he will fuel you for honoring him in this sacrament. This is a sign. This is a sacrament. This is a seal. This is also a seal that you have agreed with the public proclamation of the gospel. Jesus Christ came according to the scriptures. He died, he rose again, and he ascended on the third day, royally royally enthroned as king over the world. 
you believe that with your heart and you've confessed Christ with your mouth, then you're saved and you're welcome to partake here anytime. Um, but if your own conscience tells you not to, then I would I'd recommend that you don't. That's called fencing the table. So with that said, as Kevin plays uh, the piano, Jonathan and I will, part- will pass out the elements, keep them both, and then we'll partake together. Okay?